Peter Pan in Kennington Gardens. Chapter 1. The Grand Tour of the Gardens. You must see for yourselves that it will be difficult to follow Peter Pan's adventures unless you are familiar with the Kennington Gardens. They are in London, where the king lives, and I used to take David there nearly every day unless he was looking decidedly flushed. No child has ever been in the whole of the gardens, because it is so soon time to turn back. The reason it is soon time to turn back is that, if you are as small as David, you sleep from twelve to one. If your mother was not so sure that you sleep from twelve to one, you could most likely see the whole of them. The gardens are bounded on one side by a never-ending line of omnibuses, which are buses, over which your nurse has such authority that if she holds up her finger to any one of them, it stops immediately. She then crosses with you in safety to the other side. There are more gates to the garden than one gate, but that is the one you go in at. And before you go in, you speak to the lady with the balloons, who sits just outside. This is as near to being inside as she may venture, because if she were to let go her hold of the railings for one moment, the balloons would lift her up and she would be flown away. She sits very squat, for the balloons are always being tugged at her, and the strain has given her quite a red face. Once she was a new one, because the old one had let go, and David was very sorry for the old one. But as she did let go, she wished she had been there to see. The gardens are a tremendous big place, with millions and hundreds of trees. And first you come to the figs, but you scorn the loiter there, for the figs is the resort of superior little persons who are forbidden to mix with the commonality, and it is, and is so named, according to the legend, because they dress in full fig. These dainty ones are themselves contemptuously called figs by David and other heroes. And you have a key to the manners and customs of this dandical section of the gardens when I tell you that cricket is called crickets here. Occasionally, a rebel fig climbs over the fence into the world. And such a one was Miss Mabel Gray, of whom I shall tell you when we come to Miss Mabel Gray's gate. She was the only really celebrated fig. We are now in the broad walk, and as it is much bigger than the other walks, as your father is bigger than you. David wondered if it being little, and grew and grew until it was quite grown up, and whether the other walks are its babies. And he drew a picture, which diverted him very much, of the broad walk, giving a tiny walk in it airing in a perambulator, perambulator, perambulator. In the broad walk, you meet all the people who are worth knowing, and there's usually a grown-up with them to prevent them going on the damp grass, and to make them stand disgraced at the corner of a seat if they have been a mad dog, dog or Mary Annish. To be Mary Annish is to behave like a girl, whimpering because nurse won't carry you, or simpering because your thumb in your mouth, simpering with your thumb in your mouth, and it is a hateful quality. But to be mad dog is to kick out at everything, and there is some satisfaction in that. 
If I were to paint out all the notable places as we pass up the broad walk, it would be time to turn back before we could reach them, and I simply wave my stick at Seco Hewlett Tree, that memorable spot where a boy called Seco lost his penny, and looking for it, found two pence. There has been a good deal of excavation going on there ever since. Farther up the walk is a little wooden house in which Marmadukey Perry hid. There is no more awful story of the gardens than this of Marmadukey Perry, who had been Mary Annish three days in succession and was sentenced to appear in the broad walk dressed in his sister's clothes. He hid in the little wooden house and refused to emerge until they brought him knickerbockers with pockets. You now try to go to the round pond, but nurses hate it because they are not really manly and they make you look on the other way at the big penny in the baby's palace. She was most celebrated by she was the most celebrated baby of the gardens and lived in the palace all alone with ever so many dolls. So people rang the bell and up she got out of her bed, though it was past six o'clock and she lighted a candle and opened the door in her nightie. And then they all cried with great rejoicings, Hail Queen of England. What puzzled David most was how she knew where the matches were kept. The big penny is a statue about her. Next, we come to the hump, which is the part of the broad walk where all the big races are run. And even though you had no intention of running, do you run when you come to the hump? It is such a fascinating slide down kind of place. Often you stop when you have run about halfway down it and then are lost. But there is another little wooden house near here called the lost house. And so you tell the man that you were lost and then he finds you. It is glorious fun racing down the hump, but you can't do it on windy. Then you are not there, but the fallen leaves do it instead of you. There's almost nothing that has such a keen sense of fun as a fallen leaf. From the hump, we can see the gate that is called after Miss Maple Gray, the fake I promised to tell you about. There were always two nurses with her, or, or else one mother and one nurse. And for a long time, she was a pattern child who always caught, coughed off the table and said, How do you do? to the other figs. And the only game she... Ooh, there's a picture of... And it says, There is almost nothing that is such a fun, has such a keen sense of fun as a fallen leaf. The only game she played was played at was flinging a ball gracefully and letting the nurse bring it back to her. Then one day, she tired of it all and went mad dog. And first, to show that she really was mad dog, she unloosened both her bootlaces and put out her tongue east, west, north, and south. Then flung her stash in a puddle and danced on it till dirty water was squirted over her frock. After which, she climbed the fence and had a series of incredible adventures one of the least of which was that she kicked off both her boots. At last she came to the gate that is now called after her, out of which she ran into the streets. David and I have never been in, been in, though we have heard them roaring, 
and still she ran on and would never again have been heard of had not her mother jumped onto a bus and thus overtaken her. It all happened, I should say, long ago, and this is not the Mabel Gray whom David knows. Returning up the boardwalk, we have on our right the baby walk, which is so full of permabulators that you could cross from side to side, stepping on babies, but the nurses won't let you do it. From this walk, a passage called Bunting's Thumb, because it is that length, leads into Picnic Street, where there are real kettles and chestnut blossoms, and chestnut blossoms fall into your mug as you are drinking. Quite common children picnic here as well. And the blossom falls into their mugs, just the same. Next comes St. Grover's Well, which was full of water when Malcolm the Bold fell into it. He was his mother's favorite, and he let her put her arm around his neck in public because she was a window. But he was also partial to adventures and liked to play with a chimney sweep who had killed a good many bears. The sweep's name was Sooty, Sooty, and one day, when they were playing near the well, Malcolm fell in and would have drowned had not Sooty dived in and rescued him, and the water had washed sooty clean and now he stood revealed as malcolm's long lost father so malcolm would not let his mother put her arm around his neck anymore between the wall and the round pond are the cricket pitches and frequently the choosing of sides exhausts so much time that there is scarcely any cricket everybody wants to bat first and as soon as he is out he bows bat bowels Bowls? Bowls? Unless you are the better wrestler. And while you are wrestling with him, the fielders have scattered to play at something else. The gardens are noted for two kinds of cricket. Boy cricket, which is real cricket with a bat, and girl cricket, which is with a racket and the governess. Girls can't really play cricket, and when you are watching their futile efforts, you make funny sounds at them. Nevertheless, there was a very disagreeable incident one day when some forward girls challenged David's team, and a disturbing creature called Angela Clare sent down so many Yorkers that, however, instead of telling you the results of that regrettable match, I shall pass on hurriedly to the round pond, which is the wheel that keeps all the gardens going. It is round because it is in the very middle of the gardens, and when you come to it, you never want to go any further. You can't be good all the time at the round pond, however much you try. You can be good in the broad walk all the time, but not at the round pond, and the reason is that you forget, and when you remember, you are so wet that you may as well be wetter. There are men who sail boats on the round pond, such big boats that they bring them in barrows, sometimes in permulators, perambulators, and then the baby has to walk. The bow-legged children in the gardens are those who had to walk too soon because their father needed the perambulator. You always want to have a yacht to sail on the round pond, and in the end, your uncle gives you one. And to carry it to the pond the first day is splendid, but also to talk about it to boys who have no uncle is splendid. Splendid, But soon you like to leave it at home. 
to the sweetest craft that sips her mornings, slips her mornings in the round pond, is what is called moorings in the round pond, is what is called a stick boat. Because she's rather like a stick until she's in the water and you are holding the string. Then as you walk round, pulling her, then you see little men running about the deck and sails rise magically to catch the breeze and you put in on dirty nights at snug harbors which are unknown to the lordly yachts. Night passes in a twink and again your rackish craft noses for the wind, whales spout, and you glide over buried cities and have brushed with pirates, cast an anchor on coral islands. While you are a solitary boy, you are a solitary boy, while all this is taking place, for two boys together cannot adventure far upon the round pond. And though you may talk to yourself throughout the voyage, giving orders and executing them with dispatch, you now know, you know not when it is time to go home, where you have been, or what swelled your sails. Your treasure trove is all locked away in your hold, so to speak, which will be opened, perhaps, by another little boy many years afterwards. But those yachts have nothing in their hold. Does anyone return to this hunt of his youth because of the yachts that used to sail it? Oh, no. It is the stick boat that is freighted freighted with memories. The yachts are toys. Their owner, a freshwater mariner. They can cross and recross a pond only while the stick boat goes to sea. You yachtsmen with your winds who think we are all there to gaze on you. Your ships are only accidents of this place. And were they all to be boarded by the skunk and sunk by the decks, the real business of the round pond be carried on as usual.